The Beat Church in Pflugerville, Texas. Bringing you messages of inspiration, hope, and freedom. Turn up the volume and get ready for the truth that will set you free. Am I on here? Yep, there we go. All right, we're going to pray. We're going to jump into the Word and find out what happens now. You know, Easter was last week, and, you know, the title of the message today is, So Now What? Jesus came, He died, He rose, and then He left us behind. So now what happens? So, Father, we pray as we get into Your Word, God, that You'll bring, Father, revelation, Lord, Amen. that Your Holy Spirit would teach us. God, lead us into the truth. Father, of your word, and help us to understand, God, what we're here for, or what your call is on our life, Lord, so that we can uh, live out the mission that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, in your bulletins, we have the verses. We're going to start out in Acts chapter 1 today. That's really where we're going to spend our time. So if you go to Acts chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 1, I'm just going to read through this, and then we're going to jump in and break some of it down. But starts out, it says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So it's saying, after he died and rose again, he spent 40 days going around and connecting with them, showing them that he was alive, talking to them, teaching them, bringing revelation about who he was, why he died, why he rose again. And then verse 4, it says, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him, and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he had said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and the cloud hid him from their sight. So we're going to stop there for just a second. So 40 days he spends with them. He's died, he's risen, he's back on earth. The greatest miracle in the history of the earth that just happened. Jesus died. He rose again. He's back to life. He comes, and he's spending time with them. And after 40 days of trying to teach them, trying to get through to them what his kingdom was about, the question that they have for him is, is it at this time that you're going to take over? Is it at this time that you're going to throw Rome out, and you're going to take over and set up your kingdom? So they literally had spent three years with Jesus— Three years walking with him, talking with him, being a part of his life, seeing the miracles, listening to his testimony. Then he dies, he rises again, he spends 40 more days with them as the resurrected Christ, and he's trying to teach and explain to them what it's all about. And at the end of it, they still are looking at him as a political figure. They're still wanting to know when he's going to throw out Rome and take over and set up his kingdom on earth. They still could not get and comprehend the fact that he wasn't here to take over and set up a natural kingdom, but that he was setting up something far greater, something spiritual. 
It wasn't registering. It wasn't connecting. You know, we have hindsight. We know that he's gone. We've seen what, what's happened since then as the Holy Spirit's been poured out. But in their shoes, in their situation, they still could not grasp that he was actually here for something different than that. I think that's important for us because a lot of times Jesus comes into our own life and into our own heart and we spend all of this time as believers waiting for God to do something to set up the plan that we have. Right? It's like, Lord, I've been serving you all these years and I'm still waiting for you to set me up in this particular job, in this particular uh, ministry. Lord, I'm waiting for you to set things up the way that I envision. I'm still waiting for kind of my plan to happen. And here the disciples had done that, and they're waiting for the way that they wanted it to go. They're waiting for Jesus to come along and set it up like that. And so it's an important lesson for us to pull out of here that our thoughts are not God's thoughts. Our ways are not God's ways. We might have a particular vision in a way that we see our faith playing out, and we see God's kingdom coming, and we look and say, it's not working out that way. It's just not happening. Lord, what's wrong with it? And we keep pushing and fighting that direction. Sometimes it's good to slow down and just say, Lord, I don't see this working out the way that I thought it would. Maybe it's a different plan that you have. Lord, what are you saying? Or what is your direction? And it, it kind of points to the reality that sometimes we need to listen more and maybe pray and command less, right? Prayer is a two-way street. Sometimes we're asking for things. Sometimes we're listening, right? But to slow down and say, God, what are you trying to do? Or what's your plan? What's your will? Where are you going with this? And be able to get his heart and his vision before we start really trying to push forward and to do that. So going on into verse 10, this is after he's taken up into the clouds. It says, they were looking intently up into the sky. Another translation says that as they were straining, straining towards heaven. They're looking up. It's like he's gone, he's disappeared, and you're like still looking. You're like, okay, now what? Okay, he just went up. Is he coming back down, right? Whatever goes up must come down. He went up. We know he's going to be right back. And they're just still staring. He's gone. It says, They were looking intently in the sky as he was going, and suddenly two men dressed in white, two angels come, stand beside them, and they say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you've seen him go into heaven. So he will be back, but why are you still standing here looking up? Well, obviously, we know why they're standing there looking up. The last time he died and went away, right, he came right back, and they weren't there to see it. And so now he's gone, and it's like, okay, well, we know last time he left, he came right back. So now he's left again. He's going to be right back. Like, this couldn't be the end of it. I mean, the kingdom's coming, right? He didn't rise from the dead to leave. Think about David in the Bible. David's kind of a foreshadowing of Jesus, right? He's often compared to Jesus in the Bible and Jesus compared to him. But David in the Bible came and he defeated Goliath. Okay, Goliath was pushing against the Israelites and mocking them and they had a, a barrier set up in between them of land where you can't cross here and they can't cross here and the Philistine armies were up and the Israelites were here and David was challenging and no one could defeat them except for then David comes along and through the power of the Lord, he gets a victory. And he defeats Goliath. And what happens after David takes a victory, and this is important because the Israelites were thinking that when Jesus comes, he'll be the new David. He's going to be the ultimate David. He's going to be the ultimate king of Israel. 
And so when David killed Goliath, he then took Goliath's head, he took his sword, and he paraded it through the city, and he was a hero. And then as time went on, he became the king of Israel, and he led Israel. They're thinking the Messiah is here. Now David defeated Goliath, the natural Goliath, but Jesus comes in and defeats the ultimate Goliath. In, he actually defeats the devil. He defeats death. And so now it's time to come and take your kingdom. That's where their mind's at. That's what they're believing for. Still after all of this time, they, their heart is set on that. But what Jesus says, going back to verse 7, he says, It's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority about when he's going to restore the kingdom, even that they're thinking about. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be, now this is what he says, this is why I'm leaving, this is why you're staying, is that you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. Nothing's changed. The reason that Jesus went to heaven and left us here is because he has called us to be his witnesses in the earth. He's called us to be a witness to, his, to our neighbor, called us to be a witness to the person at work, called us to be a witness to our family. And so he's left us behind to do that. And so what happens a lot of times in life is that we get into trouble, especially in our faith. We get discouraged. We get disappointed because we have set up in our mind this idea that we're here on earth to settle and to occupy. It's like, well, I'm here to settle. I'm here to, like, set up my life and set up my retirement and set up my family and improve my home and do all these things with my job. And, like, I'm here to settle and occupy and set up a, a, a good kind of life for myself, to live my best life now. This is what I'm here for. Okay? And that creates a whole lot of confusion and a whole lot of discouragement over time because that's not what we are left for. His word doesn't say, and I'm going to heaven and I'm leaving you here to set up the best possible life that you can have. In fact, he had called many of the disciples away from the best life that they had. They were fishermen, they were doctors, they were, ta they were doing all these different things in their ministries and he, or in their life, in, their, in the way that they made a living and their occupation. He pulled them out of that to follow him which actually led to persecution and it led to sometimes poverty. It led to different things that resulted in them walking away from the things that they had done. And so he comes and he says, no, I'm calling you to be a witness. So it's not to settle and occupy, but the real thing that he left us for is search and rescue. And it's important because your expectation will absolutely dictate your experience. I'll give you an example of that. I went on a cruise with my family. So We've never been on a cruise. We've always wanted to go on a cruise. So we decided we're going on a cruise because, you know, we may not have a chance to do this again. We have one daughter that's 19. We have a daughter that's 17. And pretty soon, you know, they may not be around to go on a cruise if they move away or something. So we're going to do this thing. So we go on the cruise. Now, if we are the ones that are going on the cruise as a tourist, right, we have a certain expectation, Right? We don't want to go on there. The food is all provided. The room is nice. We can sit by the pool. Like, this is our expectation. If I get on the ship and somebody takes my bags and puts them to the side and they say, oh, hey, the kitchen's back there. I'll say, well, I, I don't care about that. Where's the dining room? Where's the hot tub? No, the kitchen's back there and your quarters are over here in this bunk area. And by the way, you need to be on shift at seven. Right? That's a really different thing to end up on the boat for. And if I spend my entire week on the boat thinking, well, I'm here because I'm a tourist. 
But in reality, I'm here because I'm part of the staff. It's going to be a pretty rough week. I'm going to be disappointed. I'm going to be frustrated. I'm going to be like, man, they're, they're making me cook. I'm supposed to be on a cruise. I'm supposed to be having a good time. They're making me work. And the reality is that I'm actually there to work, but my mind is that way. Now, if I come on to work, I'm thinking, boy, I'm going to work for five days. I'm going to make a couple thousand dollars because you get paid 24 hours a day. I'm going to have money coming in. Like, these are the things that are going to happen. And if that's where I'm at mentally, when I get on the boat, even though I'm still working, my mind is expecting that. My experience will be good, and I'll get off the boat and say, that was a great cruise. I made a ton of money. I worked hard. It was a great experience. So knowing why you're on the boat absolutely matters to your experience in life. Okay? And if we fall into this mindset that we are on this boat, if we're on earth right now to settle and occupy rather than to search and rescue, it will absolutely cause you to be confused in your faith. It'll cause you to get discouraged in your faith. It'll cause you to be frustrated and question, why God, why God, why God? Why isn't this working out? Why don't I have this? Why does someone have better than me? You know, I went on a mission trip to Africa, and I was there on a mission trip. And so going there, I slept in a hut with no electricity. They actually, when we went in, we lay down, because we went way out in the villages. I go in there, I lay down, and a guy comes up, and it's like this mortared hut with door on it, and he comes over, and he sets the latch, and he puts a padlock on it, and he locks us in at night. Like, there's no way out. <laughs> So I get a little bit claustrophobic, and a guy comes in, and he just locks it. We'll be back in the morning to let you out, right? Anybody else feel weird about that, getting locked into your cabin at night? Yeah, I felt pretty weird. But they did that because they didn't want anybody to break in to harm anybody, and they didn't want any of us actually going out because there's dangerous animals out there, and they didn't want us to walk out and get eaten or something because there was actually out where we were at. There was stuff that could eat you, including cannibalistic monkeys that are out there. And so they had all kinds of weird animals, snakes, I mean, all kinds of stuff. But they lock us in. And then at night, there's no lights, you know. We got a little lantern going. We got mosquitoes biting us, you know. We're eating, like, food with, like, chicken heads in it. Like, everything is just, like, super rustic. And I had a great time. But that's what I was going for. We were going because we were on a mission. So our mindset was we're on a mission. And so we expect, like, our lodging to be mission lodging. We expect our food to be mission food. We expect our experience to be a mission experience. Okay, now, if I had gone thinking I'm going on vacation or I'm going on a trip to just have a good time and to have my best time now, my best life now, I would have gone there and been very frustrated because I'm like, this bed isn't very good and I don't like being locked in because I might want to go out on a walk. And why in the world is there a head in my soup? Right? This isn't how I like to eat. I'm thinking about myself, and I'm thinking that this is for me. And so as believers, it's important to get in our head and then down into our heart that we are not here because this is our promised land. Our promised land is not here. Jesus said, I go to the Father for what? To prepare a place for you. Okay, we oftentimes, we use sermons and all these things and we compare the Israelites going through the desert and they're on quest for the promised land. So they're going through a hard time to get to the promised land and we compare it to this life. And there's some application there, but it's not the ultimate application. There's some application we can say, you know, I'm going through a struggle in my life, but I know that God's going to break through to the promise and so there's a desert and I'm going to get to the promise. And that's great for some minor application. But the bigger picture is 
that this entire life is the desert. This is the wilderness. The promised land isn't here. The promised land is in heaven. Doesn't mean we can't have nice things here. Doesn't mean that God can't bless us here. Doesn't mean that God doesn't want to do good things for us here. But no matter how good it is here, we're all leaving. This is temporary. And there's only certain things that we can only do on earth that we can't do in heaven. If it was about having the most intimate relationship with the Lord, if it was about having the most peace and the most joy and the best life, God would have already taken us all. Because that's going to happen in heaven. So you have to say, well, what is it that can only happen here? Because that's why we would be here, right? Jesus says it, to be a witness. We won't be able to be a witness to lost people in heaven because there won't be lost people in heaven. We look at the fruits of the Spirit and we look at the gifts of the Spirit, okay? We're not going to need patience in heaven because everything is there. God's there. We have all that we need. We're not going to need a lot of the gifts and the different parts that the Holy Spirit brings because they're for this mission. So here's a few ways that we know it. We know it because of Jesus' word. One is John 16, 33. It says, I told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have many trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus says this world is not where you're going to find everything. It's not here. John 20, 21, it says again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. He says, have peace because I'm sending you into the world the way that the Father sent me. And we know how the Father sent him. The Father sent him to lay his life down for others. He sent him to testify about the kingdom of God that's coming. And so he sends us into the world the same way. We know this because of the disciples' actions. They walked away from the things of this world in order to commit themselves to following Jesus and becoming a witness to the world around them. They're the ones that were first left behind, and that's the action that they took based on what Jesus told them and on how the Holy Spirit empowered them. And so we can look at their example, and we know that's how God wants to use us. We can look at the church's actions. The church, if you read in Acts, the New Testament church, it says that they sold all their possessions, they brought it in, and they distributed it to the poor and people that had need. Because they weren't looking at setting up their long-term life and then their legacy and all these things. They were looking at reaching lost people, broken people, people that had need, And they were using every means necessary to make that happen. Their life, their finances, their belongings, their reputations, everything was given to that because they were looking at, I am here temporarily and I'm here on a mission. And that's what he had for them. We know it because of the tools that he left behind. The Holy Spirit comes and empowers us, first of all, to be a witness. Okay, and then the gifts of the Spirit come, you know, which are, there's gifts. We went over those a few weeks ago, but there's gifts of of prophecy, the Bible says the unbeliever comes in and hears prophecy and it lets them know that the Lord is here. And there's other gifts, gifts of evangelism, gifts of pastoring. There's gifts of mercy and helps. All these gifts, if you look at them, they're made to serve others, right? And they're not made to build up just our own life. They're made to be of service to others. And so we know by those, we know by the fruits of the Spirit. Love, what does love do? Love goes and it actually works to build up others and to sacrifice for others and to build them up. So we know by the fruit of the Spirit, mercy, and to have mercy on those that need it. And every aspect of it is used to go and touch somebody else's life. And so all of these things point in the direction of 
that our life isn't about building our own selves up, which is completely contrary to culture. Right? Our culture is always about building up for ourselves financially, through popularity, through, I mean, you don't build, you know, social media based on, you know, only liking others. You know, if, if the social media only allowed us to follow others, but they couldn't follow us, we couldn't build up our brand, right? If it only allowed us to like others, but we couldn't receive our own likes, right? I don't think many people would be on it because we like to see if we're getting our views, if we're getting our likes, if we're getting our shares, right? That's what people want to see. They want to be built up in themselves. And yet he left us here specifically for that mission to go out and to seek and to save lost people. And the need is desperate. There are people right now in our city. There's people that are our neighbors. There's people that are our family. They're just in desperate need of somebody to come along and to encourage them and to speak life, to talk about Jesus, to invite them over, to, to pray with them. It's all over. You see it with kids. You see it with parents. You see it in marriages that there's a great need for it. Wherever you're at right now in your life, you think, well, I've got struggles. Wherever you're at right now, you are in a perfect position right now to be a witness because you have the Holy Spirit working in your life. You don't have to have a degree. You don't have to have a certain amount of time in like a pastoral training. You are the witnesses. God has, has specifically put each of you in the job that you're in, in the neighborhood that you're in, with the people that are around you, because there are those in that circle that he wants you to shine your light for. And you can do it, and I can't. Because you're spending time with them. You're building relationship with them. You're the one that has the open door of, of, of time and trust that's been built. And so as you are in those environments and you pray for those people and you think about those people and say, God, open the door. We know that's a prayer that will be answered because the Bible says if we ask anything in his name, which it's really saying in his will, if we'll ask it in his name, that he will do it for us. And if as a church we come to a place where every person can say, do you know what? In the last couple of weeks, I've had this opportunity to share with a neighbor. I've had this opportunity to share with somebody at work. I've had this opportunity to share with somebody in my family. If we are just at that place and we're sowing seed, we can trust that God will cause increase in those lives as people come to salvation and also in the church. It's not a magic formula where, oh, we got to do this and do that. We have to have this kind of music and this kind of thing. The Bible says that they overcame by the blood of the Lamb. That's what Christ did for us and by the word of our testimony. That's the part that he has left us here to do is to testify. Is to say, do you know, I know Jesus. This is what he's done in my life. Well, but do you know what verses in, you know, Jeremiah 6, 17? No. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to share what Jesus has done in your life. You don't have to have a specific special prayer memorized in order to say to somebody that you can see is struggling financially or is hurting, can I pray with you? And just extend the love of God into their life. You don't have to be a certain age, a certain experience. God can use you right now, right where you are. You know, we saw that. We did our apartment outreach a couple weeks ago, and we have another two of them coming up this next month. 
and people came out and are using their gifts and are praying with people and talking with people. And there's people coming online, finding our site and posting and saying, you know what, I've been here a year and nobody has built any community here. Nobody's even talked to us. That's at their apartment complex. And thank you for coming in and doing that. We've been really discouraged. And somebody prayed with me and it really built me up. And I haven't even been following the Lord in my faith at all. Because they're out there. And they're waiting for someone to come and to speak to them and to share with them and encourage them. And we're the ones that get to do that. We're the ones that are called to do that. God has that for each of us. If it's in our mind, if we wake up thinking that way. Acts, going back to Acts chapter 1, just rereading 6 through 11, it says, They gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Okay, we can spend our whole life praying and saying, God, at this time, are you going to fix my problem? Lord, at this time, are you going to fix this situation? God, at this time, are you going to change this dynamic in my life? God, at this time, are you going to bring this physical healing I've been waiting for? God, at this time, are you going to uh, make this change in a relationship that I have? God, at this time, are you going to give me a promotion and increase my income? God, at this time, are you going to do this thing where it shows that you have favor and that you have authority and you're doing something awesome in my life? God, is this the time that you're going to do it? So often we can get caught up always waiting and waiting and waiting. And man, when God comes through in this, man, I'm just going to be on fire, ready to go. I'm going to start sharing. And that's a trick because you're already in a place. We are already in a place where what we say has weight because and it has authority in people's lives because it's the Holy Spirit speaking life into their situation. Just using what we have. I mean, imagine the boy with the loaves and fishes. He's looking out at 5,000 people and they say, does anybody have any food? And he's like, well, I've got this. Maybe he prays. God, if you'll make this more, I'll give it. It's not enough right now and that'd be really embarrassing. <laughs> like if I offer this up, it's not enough for everybody. People are going to be frustrated because it's not enough and it's going to be embarrassing. But Lord, if you make it more then I'll give it. But that's not the way the, story go, the, the way the story goes. The way the story goes is he takes it and then he gives it and then God blesses and multiplies it. See, is it, it's first we give it and then God does it. Lord, I would talk to that neighbor. Man, I don't have a lot to say to him. Like, I would invite him, but I don't have any fancy church stuff to say. Like, I don't know what to do. Lord, I would, I would talk to that coworker, or offer to pray for him, but I don't even know the right words. See, if we'll just take the first step, which might just look like saying, hey, can I pray for that? Hey, do you have a need? Hey, I see you're organizing your garage. Can I come over and help? Hey, whatever, we just take that step. We just bring out a little bit of loaves and fishes and we say, God, would you use this? And he's like, yeah. Yeah, I'll use it. Sometimes we look at what other people are doing and we think, boy, they, if I had that or I was that way, I could do it. I remember one of the first times I ever got to preach at a church. I remember I came out of all the anxiety and insecurities and everything else, man, but I was on fire for Jesus. Man, I, just wanted to, I just wanted to share it. And so they said, hey, do you want to preach on Sunday? I said, yeah, I want to preach on Sunday. And I remember I was at work. I was at Keller Williams, where Kyle works. Not this one, but in Vancouver, Washington. And I'm there, and I'm up on the second floor where our office was at. And I'm thinking about it, just in my mind. I'm just, because it's like Friday and Sunday is coming, and I'm going to have a chance to preach. And I go in the bathroom, and 
I'm like in there, and we're just about to go into a big meeting where all these people are going to be at, at, the, at work. But I'm in the bathroom. All I'm thinking about is Sunday's coming. I'm thinking about my word. I'm going through it in my mind. I'm imagining it and everything else. I get about halfway through what I'm imagining, and I realize I'm actually peeing all over myself, all my pants. Ah, no, I was. I was like sitting there. I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't aiming. I wasn't doing anything. I was just, I actually peed all over myself. And I look down because it starts to get warm, and I'm sitting here thinking about all oh, the goodness of God, and I'm going to preach on this and this. And all of a sudden, I'm like, there's no way I just did this. And so I got to go into a meeting next. And I'm over at the sink, man. I'm washing myself out. I'm climbing up on the counter. I'm like trying to get it out. Now, why do I tell you that? Because I know three other people here that have done that. So I want you to stand. First of all, no. Because when you look at somebody and you think, man, they've got it together. When I was there on that Sunday morning preaching, two days later, there wasn't a single person in that audience that thought, I bet you that guy peed all over himself on Friday. <laughs> but I can almost guarantee you that there was somebody sitting in that audience thinking, man, if I had what they had, boy, I would do something in ministry. I would, I would tell somebody about Jesus. I'd share with my neighbor. If I had what they had, I could do that. I had nothing except for wet pants. I was a mess. It isn't about what you have in yourself. It's about what God wants to do through you to touch someone else. And all that it takes is a willingness to step out before you're ready. That's the absolute key to seeing God do things. It's to step out before you're ready. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. What is faith? Faith is the substance of things not seen. It's this ability to look and say, I'm going to just do this because I have faith in God. I don't see it. I don't know how to work. I can't do it. I see that person's need, and I don't have the money to meet their need and to also meet my need. Well, good financial sense, sense says walk away. Keep your money. The kingdom of God says meet the need. Well, what if God doesn't come through for me? And I can't pay my rent. I just helped them with their rent. And what if God doesn't come through and pay my rent? I could tell you, do you know what? Guaranteed God will come through and pay your rent. I could tell you that. But maybe he won't. But even if he doesn't, watch the trade-off of what you've done. You've relieved their burden. And you've taken on their burden. They were the ones that couldn't pay the rent and were stressed and having to call a landlord. And you've relieved that. And now guess what? You're the one that's stressed and calling your landlord and saying, hey, I'm going to be late. That's not comfortable. But do you know what? That's like Christ taking on other people's burdens, carrying their troubles. Bear ye one another's burdens. Right? I'm not saying never pay your bills or don't be wise, but there's times when you see a need and you just got to step out and say, God, I'm doing this in faith. I pray that you're going to give it back and bless me. But even if you don't, Lord, I'm willing to take on their burden and I'll take on the consequences, Lord. But I want to see that person cared for. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Greater love has no one than they lay down their life for a friend. Lord, I will do it and let it be on me. Moses did that. 
God was going to strike out the Israelites, and he cries out, no, let my name be removed from the Lamb's book of life. Paul prayed some of the same prayers, that he wished that he would be accursed and cut off, and that the Israelites and the Jews would be cut off. It's that willingness to sacrifice ourselves in order to be on mission. And the two don't go together. If our mindset is that we're here to settle and occupy and to have our best life, it's completely contrary to the mind of self-sacrifice that we're here to sow and to love and to build a life of, of others for Jesus. And so we literally have to let go of that heart and mindset and embrace the idea that, no, I'm here on mission. I'm only here for a while. And I can tell you one thing. When I go, I'll have left everything on the court. Using sports analogy, I left it all out there. Lord, I didn't save it because I was hoping to live forever. I didn't save all my energy and my time. I didn't save all of my money. I didn't save all of everything. Lord, I worked like I was on mission. Somebody's buried under some rubble. Are you worried about insecurities? Are you worried about how you look? Are you worried about what they'll think of you if you have just the right thing to say? If you're the perfect rescue person and you're looking around, there's not somebody else in the situation, and you're right there and you can see their hands sticking out. And you're like, you know what? I'm not totally qualified for this. Sorry. Or do you jump in and pull some stuff aside and just try your best to get at them? That's what God wants us to do. He wants us just to get in and try and grab a hand and pull it and say, you know, let me, hold on, let me help you. Stay alert, I'll encourage you. You know, I don't know how to solve that one, but let me encourage you while I get someone else that can, I'm going to bring them over. And it's this desire to constantly step out and reach out and to help and to serve. That's what he left us for. He left us to do what he did. As the Father sent me, so I sent you. And the Bible says that he came to seek and to save the lost. That's why we're here. And so if we think of our life that way and we wake up in terms of that and we we go throughout our day in terms of that, right? It should change our prayers. It should change the way that we prioritize our life and the things that we do. Also change the enjoyment of our experience. The Bible says that Paul, that he had learned to be content in whatever state that he was in. And he was rejoicing in prison. He's rejoicing out of prison because he wasn't on the boat thinking, I'm here for a cruise. He was on there thinking, I'm here to work. And sometimes my feet will hurt. Sometimes my hands will hurt. Sometimes my back will ache. Sometimes I'll be uncomfortable and tired and exhausted and worn. But that's why I'm here. And so I can be happy. I can rejoice. Because I'm doing what I came for. He didn't have his mind in the wrong place thinking that he was there for something else. And so as a church, as we embrace a mindset that says, you know, I'm here to seek and save the lost. I'm here to be on mission. I'm here on search and rescue. God can use each of us to win somebody. And then the joy of the Lord comes in because we're actually connecting with somebody and seeing their life transformed and changed. We're seeing their marriage restored. We're seeing their, them come out of depression. We're seeing them come out of anxieties. All these different things, and God's bringing restoration. So we're going to take a few minutes. Uh, if you look inside of your bulletins, um, there's just one question in there towards the bottom of that. And we're going to take a little bit of time to do some interaction now. If you, if you haven't been around much, we do break off the message sometimes a little bit early in order to have some time for interaction because the Bible's pretty clear about when you come together, it says even as a church, that some may have a word, some may have, uh, you know, a, a word of exhortation or encouragement or something to share, and the people should be able to do that. The Bible says that we are the temple of God, that we are the church, 
that every one of us is a part of his body. So that means that I am not the church, I am not the ministry of the church, but that we are together the church. And so in that, it's important for us to have connection and community and to talk and to share and to encourage each other. And so what we're going to do is break up into some groups, you know, look for four or five people. And I want you guys to talk about this question for a few minutes, and then we'll pull it back together and pray and wrap up. But we'll spend about 10 minutes on this. And the question is this, in light of being on search and rescue rather than settle and occupy, in light of this, what changes should you make to your life in order to align it with the mission of Jesus? Is there any changes in your own life, in what you do and how you think and how you go about things that should alter, change, be adjusted in order to fit the mission that God has you on? Anything at all. And just to talk about that, and then also, you know, you can throw in there if you have time, you know, what ways have you already done that? Where you feel like, man, God's using me in this way. So let's break up. I'll pray real quick and we'll break up and just talk about that for a few minutes. Father, I just thank you for this time together. I pray as we have discussion, Lord, that your spirit would be there and just bring, God, uh, just some deep revelation in people's hearts, God, about where you want us, Lord, what you want us to do, Father. There's a city all around us, God, in desperate need of your love, Lord, of your care. And Lord, as we just continue as a church to reach out to the city, Lord, with more and more things coming up for outreach and Lord, just people come in that are broken and will need help and will need to be loved on and encouraged. God, I pray that you'll help us, Lord, to have that mindset, Lord, to be on mission for you. Lord, that we'd experience the joy of the Lord as we do it. God, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's break up into little groups and talk about that. Uh, Doesn't matter who, feel free to connect with whoever you'd like. Visit www.thebeatchurch.com and get connected with a community committed to applying these truths in their everyday lives. You can also give now to support our messages by visiting www.thebeatchurch.com give.